Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a high school teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, your unique Loki perspective. I dig into the big ideas of Loki, episode two, The Variant. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind the scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. Today, I'm here on my own to reflect on episode two of Loki. But first, a few items. I wanted to share that I am recording from my new recording space. As I mentioned on social media, and I think previously on the podcast, I did recently move. And I now have a dedicated recording room for both the podcast and a music project that I'm working on. I have been working on insulating the room a bit with some sound absorption and sound diffusion panels, and I'm curious for any feedback on how the audio sounds, if there's a noticeable difference, better, worse, or otherwise. It's a work in progress, and I am also planning to share some photos of what the space looks like on social media in the coming weeks. Also wanted to quickly share, I saw the movie Cruella before recording this. I bring this up for a couple reasons. One, it was so special and exciting to see a couple of MCU trailers before the movie aired. They played the trailer for Shang-Chi first and then followed that immediately with the trailer for Black Widow. Seeing those trailers on the big screen was so exciting and really hammered home for me how hyped I am that Black Widow will be released in theaters. I know there have been I know there have been a lot of opinions on all sides of of the um, discussion about whether or not it would have made more sense for Marvel to release Black Widow to Disney Plus sometime in the past year. And now that that hasn't been the case, I, I will say that I'm just very, very excited to go see that film on the big screen as was intended. And I can't wait. I have my tickets booked already for the night of Thursday the 8th. And I also recently joined AMC Stubbs A-list. Shout out to AMC, I guess. <laughs> I'm not getting any money for advertising AMC, don't worry, but uh, I, I joined that. So that means I can see up to three movies a week and I will definitely be utilizing that for the purposes of seeing Black Widow multiple times in the month of July. While I was watching the movie Cruella, which I, I really did love uh, more than I expected to, the soundtrack was wonderful, the costumes were amazing, and Emma Stone was really perfect in the role in my opinion. That being said, while I was watching it, I couldn't help but think about the recent trend of highlighting the stories of characters who were otherwise villains. And of course, this is something that has been done in literature forever. Uh, you have the text Beowulf, and then you have the spin-off text Grendel from the perspective of the monster. And while it is certainly something that has existed for as long as that, if not longer, it does seem like recently in the, the zeitgeist, these stories are very present, of course, Joker and Birds of Prey in the, the DC space, and uh, a few years ago, Maleficent in the Disney space. And I was struck by some of the similarities between this Corella story and the Loki story, and also the differences as well. So not to overstate any of those connections, but it's just something that has been on my mind. And it is something that as we are exploring themes of human proclivities or identity stories in the MCU and in specifically in the show Loki, it's something to maybe also think about in a metatextual way as to 
you know, why people are, are so attracted to these types of characters and these types of stories. So yeah, I'll leave that thought there for now so that we can get into episode two of Loki. I will begin, of course, with my general broad thoughts and initial reactions to the episode, simply saying that I absolutely loved episode two of Loki as much as I loved episode one, if not more. Episode one, as my friend Rob said last week, really did an expert job of immersing us into this world of the TVA, which is both entirely new and also familiar in, as I said, throwing us into this new context in which we're seeing Loki, who we think we know, just as it throws him into this new context, he thinks he knows himself, and now he's being challenged. Episode two really throws us more into the the action, the plot of this series, which at the beginning of episode two really seems to be each week we're going to kind of follow Loki and the TVA in a procedural type of manner as they travel to different times and places on the timeline in order to try to catch the Loki variant. But that being said, the end of this episode, episode two, kind of throws a wrench in the format that I just described as as what I predicted for the show to follow. So it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. If we are going to see some of this procedural kind of uh, crime investigation format going forward, or if we're going in an entirely new direction now, and I'm eager to find out. Regardless, I think this episode did a wonderful job of further developing the character Mobius and his relationship to Loki, raising a lot of questions about their relationship and who Mobius is, which I'm going to dig into a little bit later. We also got to see more of Judge Ravona Renslayer, which is an awesome name and an intriguing character. We also got to see more of Hunter B-15 and that especially delightful performance from the actor Wunmi Masaka as she captured Tom Hiddleston's Loki, especially that head tilt and that smile was so good. And of course, a new character introduced in the last few minutes of the episode, who in fandom spaces is being referred to as Lady Loki, who other fans are speculating may actually be a a character inspired by a different character in the comics. And I won't get into speculation based on comics because, as I've mentioned before, I, I'm not very familiar with that space at all. All I kind of know from uh, the comics is what I talk about with other people and what I have read online. So I would prefer to kind of stay away from that speculation. And uh, what the text has shown us is that this new character who was being referred to as the variant by the TVA is assumed to be, or at least we're being told, is a Loki variant and uh, doesn't necessarily like to be called Loki is something that that she says when she was under the guise of the worker at the store called Randy. And so we know that she wears something when she's in her, what we're assuming to be her base form appearing as herself. She wears something that is quite similar to Loki's costume with green and gold and the horned crown. Although it did appear as if one of the horns was broken off and I'm not sure if that has any particular meaning. I guess we will see moving forward. So in addition to all of those newer characters, we also have Loki himself, who just Tom Hiddleston's performance in this episode, the way that he captures both the humor of Loki, the way that this show in general just really excellently has balanced the fun, self-referential humor 
with al- with also these very serious themes about humanity and identity, uh, Hiddleston is playing that very well, right? We see the the we see the poignancy in in his character, and we also see that comical, witty, tongue in cheek, very whimsical side to the character as well. And for anybody who has been listening to me talk about pop culture on this podcast over the past almost a year now, you will realize that if there is one thing that I really love, it is that combination of thought-provoking, sometimes even dark themes and questions that come out of something that on the surface is fun and exciting. And that's what I love about the MCU in general. And I think this show is really taking that to a new level. And another thing that I tends to fall for is is a clever music cue and we also get one of those in this episode in of course the renaissance fair scene we are in wisconsin at a renaissance fair in 1985 as soon as we saw that on the screen i thought to myself that this is an awesome combination and a lot of fun could be had in the space of a renaissance fair in 1985 it works on so many levels and of course when our our team of minutemen go into the tent and the voiceover that's announcing one of the performances that is going to be taking place in there is both capturing the language of the medieval era and then transitioning into the wonderful 80s song Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler. Really, really well done and definitely made me laugh. A really amusing and enjoyable surface level moment. But also there's the line in that song, where have all the good men gone and where are all the gods and can't help but think about Loki with those lines as well. One of the things that's standing out to me about this Loki series, these two episodes in, is that I just spent some time talking about how fun and entertaining it is, and it is that, but I also think that it's clearly taking its time with these long scenes of cerebral dialogue in a way that, you know, I wonder if that might be off-putting to some fans of the superhero genre. Even in other MCU properties where that balance of thought-provoking and lighthearted is there, you as the viewer can choose at, at which level you'd like to engage. As the MCU has become more sprawling and asking more questions about time travel and multiverses, it kind of demands viewers to think a little bit more actively about those topics. And as I said last week, I think Loki did a really excellent job of presenting the timey-wimey stuff in the Miss Minutes cartoon, a way to sort of say to audiences, here, let's just explain this so that now we can really get into it and don't have to get bogged down in the cerebral side of it. But We are seeing these long scenes of Loki and Mobius sitting down and just talking about the nature of existence and good and evil. And those are scenes that are really, really working for me, and I really appreciate them. And many of the people who I have spoken to are also enjoying that aspect of this show. But it does make me wonder if everyone is. So if you have a different opinion on it or you know someone personally or someone in the podcasting space who does have a different opinion on it, I would love to hear it. And you can contact me at nidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter with those thoughts. So I'm going to transition now into exploring some more of those 
philosophical ideas that are raised in some of those conversations between Loki and Mobius specifically, and, and the themes that the show is exploring. I mentioned last week that the central theme of the show seems to be about identity, about a character whose whole sense of himself is being shaken up when he is thrown into a new context. And this episode takes that a little bit further to ask not only when Loki is confronted with the fact that who he thinks he is is not what he is quote-unquote supposed to be or what he perceives his role in the world to be is not is not what this external organization believes his role to be that he's being told it's not his story that he has to look at his life and death so not only all of that but then also what is it like to see yourself reflected back in these other versions of you. So in Loki episode two, the variant, there was an idea about identity and specifically meeting yourself. There was also an idea about determinism. And I'll dig into that a little bit in a few minutes, but this idea about who are you and what do your choices matter if there is a predetermined outcome. So we kind of have these two categories of themes, the personal identity stuff, and then the larger questions of existence and free will versus determinism stuff. And the two definitely interact. So last week I mentioned that one of the things that Loki had to be confronted with in episode one is this idea that he is not exceptional and that he is not an exception to his own rule. And I brought that up when I was talking about his ideas about freedom and how freedom is really a curse you know, for everyone but himself, and therefore he's meant to rule. So he learns there that he's not an exception to that rule, according to the TVA, at least. And then in this episode, he learns that he is not exceptional in that there are many others out there that are variants of him. There is a lot of language in this episode about a Loki, which kind of Loki. Um, So even the name Loki now has become less of a personal identity marker for this character that we know and love, it's become something that's very depersonalized, a common noun versus a proper noun, so to speak. One of the scenes that stands out is the briefing from Hunter B-15 and the rest of the team before Loki and the TVA go to the Renaissance Fair. She says that which kind of Loki remains unknown. And of course, Loki jumps in with the lesser kind, to be clear. There's this repetition of Loki basically saying, well, I'm the superior Loki which is interesting. He is trying to hold on to something that sets him apart, something that makes him an individual. And his way of doing that is to make it this hierarchy of better, worse, superior, inferior, as opposed to a form of uniqueness that is not tied to being better or worse. It's interesting. It, it, it makes sense with what we know about his character, especially up to the 2012 Avengers moment. But it's also something that I wonder if we'll kind of see that he needs to realize that it's not necessarily about being a a superior Loki, but it's interesting because we don't, what does that exactly mean? What does a superior Loki mean? Is it smarter? Is it more powerful uh, in his mind? And I wonder if we're going to see this character learn more about, question more of his own sense of what, of what superiority means and um, dig into a little bit more what makes this Loki unique as opposed to the other Loki variants. So in this scene also, we hear a little bit more about these variants. Hunter B-15 says that no two are alike. They have different powers. 
though they do have some powers in common. And then we get on the screen a few of these different variations of Loki. Surprisingly to me, they all looked like Tom Hiddleston, just Tom Hiddleston in an athletic outfit or with huge Hulk arms. So I was a little bit confused about that because all along I was thinking that the variants would be that maybe they would appear to have similar genes to Loki, but not necessarily be identical, like replicas of him. So I had some questions about that. And then certainly the character we're referring to as Lady Loki in the end is not a Tom Hiddleston copy. So I do have some questions on that. If I'm missing something, please let me know. But it was cool to see those different variations on on Loki come up there. And then of course, too, we see Loki kind of eating up the fact that he is being considered an expert. He says, that's me. Now, despite the fact that Loki has some ulterior motives here, his work with the TVA does act to reveal to him more about himself. Although we can kind of get the sense, even from last episode, that Loki is a character who does have more self-awareness than we necessarily knew before. Of course, back in Dark World, his mom says to him, you know, you're always so perceptive about everybody but yourself. And that certainly seemed to be one of Loki's downfalls in the movie, which, by the way, one of his downfalls is also talking too damn much. And they've made it a point in this series to mention numerous times how much he loves to talk. And just like in the scene in Avengers with Black Widow, where he just can't keep his mouth shut, and it's his incessant talking, his need for these long speeches that gets Black Widow to understand that he has this uh, scheme involving the Hulk. And then, of course, in this episode, too, he just won't shut up when he's talking to Mobius. He's laying it on so thick about how he needs this audience with the timekeepers. And so, of course, Mobius is like, you're lying. So regardless, all right, we've seen some of Loki's downfalls before. just thought that was funny. But we do see in the previous episode that he has some more understanding of himself than we necessarily gave him credit for before. He says, you know, in that scene, of course, was really, which was really powerfully done where he says, I don't like to hurt people. It's the cruel, elaborate trick. So here again, we see that this experience, this experience of hunting a variant of himself is not, uh, even if it's not necessarily teaching him things about himself that he didn't know, which I do think we'll get to more of that later. But if it's not doing that yet, it's, um, it is showcasing the way that he views himself, right? Lines like, I see a scheme, and in that scheme, I see myself. My teeth were sharp, but my ears even sharper. You can trust one thing, I love to be right. So there are these really fantastic lines that he says that really just capture the essence of how Loki operates in the world, the, the, the version of himself that he, he projects to other people in his interactions. I also love the scene at the end of the episode when Hunter B-15 asks, could that be you? when they're in the the warehouse part of the Roxcart superstore. And he says, I probably would have worn a suit, but yes, maybe. Again, a great self-awareness and humor. The wonderful interaction between him and the variant as B... And the variant in Hunter B-15's form when he says, me, I presume. And she says, if anyone's anyone, you're me, which is also really interesting to dig into. And they both do the head tilt and the smile. Really great stuff. I am interested in this idea of if anyone's anyone, you're me. And I'm really, really excited to see more interactions between Loki and this variant. I'll call her Lady Loki for now, but I'm hoping that that's what we're getting into next episode is seeing those two characters spend time together. And again, just that idea of meeting the self, self-reflected back to you and what that reveals about who you are is such 
is so thematically rich and I can't wait to see what they do with it. So I do also want to talk about the the other category of philosophical question, which seems to be about the nature of existence, about order and chaos, about agency and determinism. And I think the scenes that really stand out related to those questions are the scenes between Loki and Mobius. All right, so let's dig into those scenes a little bit here. First, we have Loki interrupting Mobius, eating a salad, drinking Jasta soda again, when he has uh, developed this theory that the variant is hiding in apocalyptic events. This is a really delightful scene. We have Mobius reminding Loki again that Nexus events are chaotic alterations of a predetermined outcome. Important language there. And of course, we also have the humorous element of it's not Asgard, it's my lunch. And <laughs> Loki putting salt on the salad and, and uh, saying that he would push Hulk off the Rainbow Bridge and Mobius saying the salt is Hulk, that uh, Loki says he would set fire to the palace, Mobius saying don't set fire to the palace. The chemistry between Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson is really, really, truly wonderful. We get a glimpse of the character Casey again when when Loki steals his juice box to make a continued point about the damage that a, a variant could potentially do before before an apocalyptic event because it ultimately wouldn't matter. And a wonderful line from OBS as well. I'm not taking you for a stroll along the promenade, much less an apocalypse. And their banter about whether or not Loki would stab someone in the back. A, a really fun conversation, but also one that is getting at getting at some of these larger plot points and thematic connections. But the most telling scene between Loki and Mobius is the conversation they have a little bit later in the episode in the lunchroom. Loki asks Mobius why he keeps these jet ski magazines. And Mobius starts by just saying, because they're awesome, which, hey, listen, sometimes that's enough of an explanation for why why one likes something. But he also says... You know, some things, actually most things in history are kind of dumb and everything gets ruined eventually. But in the early 90s, for a brief shining moment, there was a beautiful union of form and function, which we call the jet ski. This is a funny line. It's a poignant line. And it also speaks very deeply to who Mobius is as a character. He talks about in this episode, not caring what makes a Loki tick, but we are getting a sense of what makes Mobius tick. This scene, in conjunction with the scene between him and Renslayer, which I'm going to get into a little bit in a moment, do reveal quite a bit about who he is. And then, of course, in typical Loki fashion, Loki asks, have you been on a jet ski? And Mobius says no. And he kind of asks, essentially, why not? And Mobius says, you know, it would create a branch. Essentially, you know, I can't. And Loki says it would be fun. And Mobius says, yeah, it'd be really fun. And Mobius says the wonderful line on, it helps remind me of what we're fighting for. And I love that. I love this idea that something as seemingly trivial as jet skis, you know, we also see Mobius's affection for this Josta Soda, these seemingly trivial things that for Mobius seem to be symbolic of humanity, symbolic of what he believes he is working toward, in his own words, fighting for at, in his work at the TVA. Of course, Loki asks him, you know, do you really believe in all of this? 
And Mobius says, I don't get hung up on believe or not believe. I just accept what is. And this is where the conversation really takes a an existential turn. Mobius says, existence is chaos. Nothing makes any sense. So we try to make some sense of it. And I'm just lucky that the chaos I emerged into gave me all of this, my own glorious purpose. He's using Loki's own vocabulary to make a counterpoint to Loki in this conversation. And again, he's speaking to these philosophical questions that are deep for any of us to contend with. Nothing makes any sense, so we try to make some sense of it. Yeah. And he feels lucky that, yes, existence is chaos, but he has something. He has a sense of who he is, and he has a sense of what his purpose is. He has something to fight for. He has symbols of what it is he's fighting for. Loki, perhaps standing in for viewers who find a concept such as the time keepers, the space lizards, to be something that is completely baffling and ridiculous, you know, he he challenges that idea. And Mobius puts it right back on him and on us, right? Who created you, Loki? And, you know, Loki starts talking about frost giants of Jotunheim and Odin of Asgard. And Mobius says, you know, it's exactly the same thing. And that's specifically when he brings up the line about existence being chaos. And he says, importantly, the TVA is my life. It's real because I believe it's real. Which is another concept that is really huge to think about. Perception being reality. Perspective making reality. If you believe something to be real, then it is real to you. It is real in a certain context. And your belief in that reality has consequences. Those consequences are real to others. Loki continues to challenge this. He says, so everything is written, past, present, future. There's no such thing as free will. Mobius says that's an oversimplification. Loki then says, in a way, then you and I here at the TVA, we're the only ones who are actually free. Asks him, how does it all end? And Mobius says, that's a work in progress. He says the timekeepers are untangling the epilogue from its infinite branches. And in the end, there will be order and we meet in peace at the end of time. He asks, nice, right? Loki, of course, says only order, no chaos. That sounds boring. And then they circle back to the discussion that they had about Mobius calling Loki a scared little boy. And Loki says, I know something children don't. No one bad is ever truly bad. No one good is ever truly good. So just in this one scene, there's so much to dig into. As I said, it evokes philosophical questions that are, frankly, questions that people don't necessarily want to spend too much time thinking about the nature of existence, why we're here, what matters and what doesn't matter, what's real, the relationship between belief and reality. And it evokes a lot for me. I mention on this podcast quite frequently that I am a high school teacher and the school that I work at offers courses within the International Baccalaureate or IB program. And a course that students can take within that program is called the Theory of Knowledge. And that course posits that there are eight specific ways of knowing and that those eight ways of knowing are language, sense perception, emotion, reason, imagination, intuition, memory, and faith. 
Therefore, belief is a way of knowing. For Mobius, his way of knowing that what he is doing is right, knowing that the TVA is real, is his faith in it. There's a question in here as well that I mentioned previously about free will and agency. And then on the flip side of that, this idea of determinism. Now, I've used the terms determinism and predestination a couple of times this episode and last. And as my friend Jude over at the MCU Need to Know podcast pointed out, those are two distinct ideas. And I'd like to speak with him more. And you can certainly tune into MCU Need to Know to hear more of his take on how Loki is dealing with these concepts as someone who is uh, more knowledgeable about philosophy than I am. So shout out to Jude and shout out to MCU Need to Know. But my understanding is that determinism is an idea in the study of ethics that states that all events, including moral choices, and here I'm quoting from Britannica, are completely determined by previously existing causes. Determinism is usually understood to preclude free will because it entails that humans cannot act otherwise than they do. Now, predestination, at least in my understanding of it, and again, please feel free to write in with uh, any corrections or clarifications or further thoughts or questions related to this, but at least in my understanding, predestination is more of a religious term that specifically posits that everything has been preordained by a god and that that god is all-knowing and has foreknowledge of events and uh, chooses those who are essentially um, to be saved. Now, I did also want to mention briefly the ideas of the 18th century philosopher David Hume, who was a Scottish philosopher during the Enlightenment, who essentially posited a what's known as a compatibilist position in which he basically said that human freedom and moral responsibility can in fact be reconciled with the idea of causal determinism i have not extensively read the works of hume or know much more than that about it but it does seem to be something that is relevant to this discussion of what's going on in Loki, so perhaps something to look into a bit more. So I wonder if there's an extent to which when Mobius says that Loki's comments about there being no such thing as free will is an oversimplification, if if there's some room here in Mobius's school of thought for that compatibil- compatibilist take. I don't know. I think these questions are going to be developing throughout the rest of the series. And ultimately, you know, as viewers, we're hearing this argument and I think our inclination is to side with Loki because if nothing that our characters choose to do matters, then what does any of it matter? Um, does it cheapen? I, I, you know, I heard some conversation after the first episode in which we see the infinity stones relegated to the desk drawer, nothing more than paperweights. Does that undo or somehow cheapen the significance that those stones had in the Infinity Saga. My take on that would be to say, no, that they were real (laughs) because the characters believed they were real, right? In those moments, in that context, 
they were supremely important. And the characters made choices that they made, and those choices revealed who those characters were, even if there was some sacred timeline that stated that these events were supposed to happen. To me, it doesn't uh, it doesn't cheapen what people chose to do in those moments, nor does it cheapen the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because I see this extension of the story in the Loki series as a uh, an exciting branch outward in, in terms of a way of thinking than I do something that um, is in conflict with what came before. You know, that all being said, the kind of central thesis that I put forth when I started doing analytical deep dives into the MCU was that many of these stories are about identity and the idea that when one's own personal sense of identity comes into conflict with how the world perceives us to be, that's when our choices really matter. It's our choices that determine who we are. And I think that that thesis is consistent in what we're, with what we're seeing here in Loki because Loki is continually saying, in not so many words, that choices matter. I think we're going to even see that with Mobius, that while he sees himself as playing this role, this glorious purpose in the words that he uses, of serving the TVA, I think there's going to be a point where he is going to make some choices as well. And whether or not there is some foreknowledge that he's going to be making these choices on the sacred timeline, whether in that kind of predestination way or in more of that causal determinism way that one one choice that he makes has this effect that's going to affect the next and the next and the next, I think that we are going to see that his character is not entirely what he appears to be in this moment. I don't necessarily believe that Mobius is a villain. I've heard a lot of theories out there that Mobius, perhaps he's a timekeeper himself, perhaps he's a variant himself. I don't quite know where I stand on that yet. I think that he's really interesting as his own character of Mobius, and I don't necessarily want him to be a timekeeper or another Loki variant. However, if the story goes in either of those directions, I think it could also be very interesting. Speaking of Mobius, I did want to speak to one more scene, and that is the scene between him and Judge Renslayer. In that scene, we see how much Mobius loves all of the little knickknacks, the snow globe, the roller skate. Renslayer talks about the variant and even says, sounds like somebody else I know. Perhaps that is a point in the column for a theory that Mobius himself could be a Loki Um, we get some emphasis in this scene that seems to be important, so I wanted to highlight it here, even though I'm not entirely sure what it means yet, and that is the rings from the drink. And Renslayer asks him to use a coaster, essentially, and she says that the rings that were already there were all from him, but he doesn't seem to have any memory of it. And we also then have the camera's emphasis on the pen from Franklin Delano Roosevelt High School, And again, I am not entirely sure what that might mean. So any theories that you might have, please feel free to write in. I'm imagining if the scene is drawing our attention to these details, that they probably do matter. Um, We also have Renslayer saying to Mobius in the scene, I know you have a soft spot for broken things. Again, kind of revealing more about his character. And then she saying, Loki is an evil lying scourge. That is the part that he plays on the sacred timeline. 
again, this very deterministic view that Loki has a role in the world and he's meant to live up to that role. And she's seeing him for what he is meant to do and the part that he plays more than she is seeing him for the person who is in front of her. That whole scene with Renslayer Mobius was very cool. I loved the music and I thought it was very eerie and probably a scene that will be worth coming back to later on, especially as some of those details may take on greater significance. Because this is the one in which also Mobius mentions that he hasn't met the timekeepers and Renslayer says she's never seen them or involved in a case. So there's something going on here with who these timekeepers really are. Going back quickly to that scene between Mobius and Loki in what I'm calling the lunchroom, they, you know, Loki says no one bad is ever truly bad, no one good is ever truly good. And I, I think that that also kind of captures some of what I was talking about at the at the opening of this episode about this zeitgeist of these villain uh psychological studies or these anti-hero stories. And I think that's very consistent with what we've seen in parts of the MCU, specifically in the Loki story. For many years, a lot of the comments on the MCU was that they didn't necessarily have the best villains. And I think in more recent years, we're seeing that they're, the way that villains have been written falls more into this argument that Loki is putting forth here that there is no, that it's not as simple as black and white, good versus evil. And I like the way he says it too, because he doesn't say it's not all black and white. It's not just good and evil. He says no one bad is ever truly bad. No one good is ever truly good. There are people who are bad. There are people who are good, but they contain multitudes, right? There's more to it than being 100% truly one way. I think that's obviously true of him as well. And one more thing that stood out related to that idea of their, their, this gray area idea is in the conversation between Loki and the Miss Minutes hologram right at the top of the episode. Super weird and delightful. I love Miss Minutes. She, I just ordered the Miss Minutes clock for, for my new movie room, and I, I, I'm very excited about it. The work of voice actor Tara Strong is really fantastic, and we share a first name, so that's pretty cool too. But Miss Minutes is, is weird and awesome. And, you know, he's kind of taunting her and he asks, are you real or a recording? And she says sort of both. Right. And I, I like that. I think it's playing. It's continuing to play with this idea of this gray area. And I think WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier also played with that in a way that is uh, representative of a new direction for the MCU and one that does raise hard questions and existential questions and something that is just very exciting moving forward. I'd be remiss to wrap up my discussion about this episode of Loki without mentioning the Pompeii scene, which was, again, another scene that was both important to the plot and the themes, but was also a lot of fun, even though it feels weird to say that. But uh, we, of course, we have Mobius in that scene talking about how some of Loki's actions are not in good taste. Can you make bird noises? Really wonderful stuff. And Loki, it really shines in the moment where he lets the goats out and says, be free, my horned friends. Of course, finding that affinity with other, um, other creatures who wear horns and speaking in Latin, uh, questioning, we are from the future, right? And of course, saying nothing matters. Nothing has any consequence. Dance while you still can really fun stuff. And again, really sad and dark stuff too at the same time, which is right up my alley. 
So moving into next week, episode three, I already mentioned that Loki jumping through the time door to follow who I'm calling Lady Loki at the end of this episode already kind of throws a little bit of a wrench into what I had predicted would be the format for the rest of the series, but I'm excited about that. The last line that Lady Loki says in this episode is, this isn't about you. And that also opens up some interesting doors for where we're going for episodes three through six. The show is called Loki. The show has started off being very much about Loki and this concept of uh, not just Loki Laffison 2012, the character we're seeing in front of us, but this concept of a Loki, what it means to be a Loki, what does it mean to be this Loki as opposed to a Loki in general, and this character confronting that. Um, but then to hear it's not about you is very interesting. Of course, we have Loki who we have Loki running away from the TVA here, and so I'm assuming the next episode is going to be him and Lady Loki interacting, which I'm really excited for, as I mentioned, but I also am curious as to when his relationship with Mobius is going to come back into play because those two actors and characters have such wonderful chemistry together. So I'm curious where that's going to go next. Very curious about this Lady Loki character as well. And if she is who they think she is, a Loki variant, or if she is someone else, she tells us at the end of this episode that, that she's not interested in ruling the TVA. And of course, we see her bomb the sacred timeline. So very curious about what her motive really is and also the implications of that, not just on this series, but on the MCU moving forward. So if you have any thoughts about any of those questions, if you have any predictions about where we're going next, again, please feel free to reach out to me at idea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And thank you for listening as always, especially on these episodes where it's just me reflecting on these ideas in real time. I appreciate you sticking with me. And next week, I will be joined by a guest again, so you can look forward to that. And as always, thank you for supporting There Was an Idea, and see you next week. If you enjoyed this analysis of episode two of Loki, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at Illustrations on Instagram and music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in each week to hear my guest of the week and I dig into the big ideas of the most recent episode of Loki.